What's up, Mountain Family? It is so good to be together today. Which, whichever campus you're at, or if you're watching online, a big welcome to you. Let's, let's do this, okay? A big shout out. Which, whichever campus you're participating from, I want you to go crazy, scream, don't worry about the people around you, okay? Ready? When I say your name, Abingdon, come on, a- Aberdeen, Mountain Road, and Edgewood. All right, let's hear it. And if you're at home, of course, scream in your living room or if you're in a coffee shop, go crazy. We are pumped to be together today. We're rounding out our series called An M.O. Like Mo. Okay, we're finishing this thing up. Uh, It's been a really fun series. Let me encourage you in this. If you haven't been able to catch every single week, guess what? They're all parked on the internet. You can find them. It's going to be easy. Go back and check it out. Catch up. Because throughout this series, each and every single week, it's like the Lord has been revealing something new to us through the life of Moses. And I think there's something practical every week for every single one of us to take away. So don't miss the opportunity to go back and check those out and get caught up, right? Uh, As we've been looking at the life of Moses, one of the things we realize is we've kind of only scratched the surface of all that happened in Moses' life. Like if we really wanted to do a series about every single practical takeaway in Moses' life, we'd be here for like six months, right? It's a big stinking iceberg, and we're just chipping away at what we can see above the water. And so we want to kind of round that out today with doing something fun and hearing a bunch of different stories from Moses' life and how they apply to us. And then next week, we're going to move on to a series called Stand. It's all about First Peter. In the book of First Peter, uh, Peter's writing to people who are scattered, divided, persecuted, discouraged. And I, I think that we can admit that Christians today— Well, they they very much feel that way. It's very possible to feel that way with all that's been going on in this past year, whether it's loneliness or depression or feeling like Christianity is something that's that's not allowed or it's it's frowned upon or it's on the outside or whatever it may be. I think that that series is going to have something really important for each of us as we work through the book of 1 Peter. So let me encourage you in this, okay? If you know someone who's a person of faith that's kind of drifted from the church, Make this the moment that you drag them back. Get to one of our campuses, participate online, drag them back, and let's dive into the scripture and be encouraged in a season where so many of us might be discouraged, okay? Get those people back, bring them with you. But for today, we're going to hop in and we're going to look at a few more examples from the life of Moses. When I think about Moses' life, I often think of, of like my grandpa, okay? And now, like the way we look at Moses now, because my grandpa, uh, when he was living, I'd go to his house and visit, and he would say, well, let me tell you this story from when I was younger. There's, it's going to apply to you. You got to listen up, bub. They called me bub, okay? Now you know. And my grandpa would tell us this story, and it would always have some kind of application. And when you're at the end of your life, looking back, there's all these takeaways, all these moments that we can learn from. And that's the advantage that we have. That's the vantage point we have of Moses' life is we can look back and see the way that God worked through him and have all these little takeaways that made him who he was, that we can have an M.O. like Mo. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to look at some of the the advice from Grandpa Moses, okay? And it's not going to just be me. I've got some friends here with me uh, that I want to introduce you to, and and we're each going to take an opportunity as we've read through the book of Exodus and just like go back and reflect on some of the stuff that happened in Moses' life and how it might apply to us. So real quick, introduce yourselves. Yeah, hey, what's up? My name is Brad. I'm a worship resident at the Mountain Road Campus. Hi, my name is Aaron Schwab, and I am Welcome and Next Steps pastor at the Mountain Road Campus. Hey everybody, I'm Yoel Martinez and I'm a worship pastor at Aberdeen Campus. 
That fancy new one up in Aberdeen, huh? Yes, it's yeah. nice. You should come and check it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there is one other uh, guest that's going to be with us today that's going to be with us via video. She couldn't be here uh, right now, and so uh, I can't wait to share with you uh, a story of hers because here's the deal. She is uh, the oldest member of Mountain, like for real. Not, not necessarily age, although she's 87, but she was born into this church and has been a part of this church for 87 years. She has seen a ton of change and a ton of the ways in which God has been working through this church. And that connects really closely to some stuff from Moses' life. And so I want her to share with you. Uh, she couldn't be here tonight. She couldn't be here now. So let's check out this video. Okay, so here we are with Doris. And like we said, Doris has been around Mountain for a very long time, has experienced a lot around this church. And as we, Doris, were talking about uh, the series we're in, an MO like Mo, and talking through Exodus, uh, we realize that there's some important lessons from Moses' life, the Israelite people's life as they're in the wilderness that apply to us. And you've gotten to experience moments at Mountain that might feel prosperous, but also moments that feel like we're in the wilderness. And specifically, when we were looking at Exodus chapter 16, we realized uh, one of the great things about God and what He shows the Israelite people is that He always provides what they need. And you've gotten to see some of that. I want to read this verse, okay? The Israelites, they've been freed from slavery, they're traveling, and they had experienced this great rescue of God, and now all of a sudden they're kind of grumbling, like, you know, we're hungry, like, at least in Egypt they fed us, like, we need food, we're getting frustrated and angry, and here's what the Lord says through Moses, okay, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumblings of the Israelites, and tell them at twilight you'll eat meat in the morning, you'll be filled with bread, then you will know that I am Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when that dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. And this is what the Lord commands you. Everyone is to gather as much as they need for each person that they have in their tent. And we've gotten to see, you've gotten to see, over a long period of time at Mountain, God provide and give us exactly what we need when we need it. So we thought it'd be fun if you could take a minute and just share with our church, multi-generational church. Some of us have been around Mountain maybe our first time today. Some have been around for, I don't know, a whole bunch of years, 87 years. How have you gotten to see the Lord provide for His church over and over again? Okay, Jared, I'm happy to be able to do that. I started attending Mountain in 1934, and as Jaren's already told you, that makes me 87 years old. I've seen six generations of our family here in five buildings, and we first met in a little white church over in the corner of Mountain and Jerusalem Road. The church is torn down now, but I grew up there worshiping in that building. I was baptized there and married there. In 1947, though, our leaders called Dr. William P. Walker to come from the Midwest into our church, and he presented a 10-year plan that included us building the largest Christian church on the East Coast. Two years later, with just $2,150 in bank, our building committee was established. The first challenge we had was complacency because people were filled with the recent memories of the Great Depression. People loved God, but they didn't want to go in debt for Him. Everyone was very comfortable in the little building that we had. But you know what? I taught Sunday school in there, and I had 
a school bus parked on the side of the road and the children would go out. I would teach them Sunday school on the bus. God did provide a solution to the challenge, though, of complacency by changing the paradigm of our church. He wanted us to know the children of God should not depend on the world to keep the church, that instead we would go to God for the provision. And out of that scriptural truth of stewardship, God provides for us and then we give back to him. This was a huge change for us. But God provided we needed $266,000. In 1953, though, we broke ground for our new stone building up here on top of the hill. I had a front row seat for the many difficult decisions that we had made. The building committee was meeting then, and I became their secretary. As contractors were completing, the church leaders looked at my dad and they said, you know what, Albert, you wanted that big stone building up there. You understand a lot of people thought it should be brick or something cheaper than the Butler stone that's up there. They said, you wanted that, you've got it. Now we're going to make you chairman of the Debt Retirement Committee. He agreed, and in just seven years, the $266,000 was paid for in full. You want to talk about God providing? Believe me, I saw it. My dad didn't even get into high school. His mother had died at 27, and he had to go through elementary school, and he never made it past elementary school. But God provided. Time and time again, God blessed our congregation and our teachers with the vision to grow. Our little group of believers outgrew the space of the little white church that I was baptized in in 65 years. Only 37 years later, we outgrew the beautiful big stone building up there on the hill. So in 1993, we built Cook Auditorium. Only 11 years later, we outgrew that, and we moved down here to the New Life Center where we worship today and have been worshiping for 17 years. There's limited space to our property here at Mountain, but there's no limit to what God will provide. His plans are perfect for his people. So now we don't add new buildings, we add new campuses. Since my childhood days, while worshiping here with my grandparents, my parents, my children, my grandchildren, and now indeed I worship with my great-grandchildren great here, I have seen that vision Dr. Walker carried out and presented to us back in 1947. And through the years at Mountain, we've had challenges and have through God's provision, always been able to meet them faithfully. Indeed, it was these challenges which God used to help us grow. I think we prayed harder then, and he answered. From this little white church that seated 150 people to four campuses with 15-plus services each Sunday, we've come a long way. And after 87 years here at Mountain, I just look back on all of it, and I marvel, and I can't help but echo what the psalmist said, when he said, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Yeah, I love that, Doris, and the story. Like, just what you've seen. You've seen moments of prosperity for the church, meaning reaching people, making a difference in the community, and certainly moments where it felt like maybe we're stagnant or slowing down. And maybe even in this past year through the pandemic, we've felt some of that. But we know that God, just like he did for the Israelite people, will provide for us and we're reminded of that through your faithfulness and being a part of this church. 
we're a part of a church that's making a difference in the lives of, of little ones, of 20-somethings, of my age with, with little kids running around in a family, all the way up to, you're pretty young still, but all the way up to your age. I mean, it's just so exciting to see the way that God provides uh, and continues to help His church flourish. And like you yeah. said, the Lord has done this, and yeah. it's marvelous in our eyes. So we give Him praise for that. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. All right, isn't that encouraging? I, I just love hearing from Doris. Uh, I know it just reminds me so much of the ways in which uh, God has been at work in this church for so long. It reminds me, uh, this church is 200 years old. That's, that's a lot older oh. than me. I think it's a lot older than you yeah, and you guys. Yeah, uh, and this church has been around and been flourishing. God has been providing over and over and over again. Before I was here, before you were here, before, after we'll be here. <laughs> yeah. It's just a good reminder, right, that God will continue to provide the ministry at Mountain. God is blessed in an amazing way. Yeah, it's really cool just to hear that Doris like, grew up here. Because I grew up here, too. Um, came here when I was two weeks old. Um, I'm only 19 right now, and I've already been able to see some of God's provision in the church. But just to hear that from her is just super cool and inspiring. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so cool. I mean, it's so, so gratifying and to, to be part of a church that, that, that not only trusts God, you know, in the middle of, uh, of the trouble, but like we are, we're willing to wait for his provision. I think provision is, is such a great tool for us to like respond in worship. That's so good because that's, that's what I want to talk about today. And the life of Moses was filled with, with this idea of worship. And there's so many people and so many stories in the Bible that are there are people that are just embodying, uh, worshiping God. Uh, but let me ask you guys something real quick. Um, what comes to your mind when you think about worship? When you hear this word worship, what comes to your mind? And don't shut it out right now. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of us are thinking right away, just, you know, a whole bunch a concert and, and we're singing and gatherings and all this stuff that we, we naturally, like, attach to the idea of worship. There's, there's a passage that I wanted to share with you guys about the story of Moses and, and one particular time in his life where, that I feel that it's going to help us to understand and really just know what, what worship is and how God is asking us uh, to worship him. But before that, I want to talk about this word that we all hate from the beginning. From the moment that we are born, we hate this word, and, and it's the word obedience. It's almost, it makes us want to like puke, right? As soon as you hear the word obedience, <laughs> you know, like we don't like it. We don't like it. But obedience just follow uh, Moses' leadership in life through, you know, through, uh, we see it in the scripture. There's a, a moment in chap, uh, Exodus chapter 31 that I want to read with you guys. But, you know, it's, it was a moment where God was asking Moses to be obedient, to find somebody that was to build a temple where God's presence was to, supposed to dwell. You know, but it wasn't just any building. It wasn't uh, just any regular temple. It was God wanted the temple and the building to be beautiful and to have these artistic elements. And this is what, what God told uh, uh, Moses in, in the chapter 31. Let's read it. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen... And, you know, these words are, are these names are really Old hard, Old Testament man. names are hard, man. Venezuelan, you know, Don't Texan worry. guy right here. So we asked Jared to help us out. I got you. Google's got our back. Okay, this is how you say the name. Ready? Here we go. Bezalel. Can you hear that one more time? Bezalel. 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 Yeah, Bezalel. And, you know, God told Moses, I have chosen this guy called Bezalel. Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur. And the, uh, he's from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. 
to make artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. I think when I read this passage, it reminds me so much of the era that we live in. We live in a world where like anybody could be an artist. You know, we have our phones and we can do something really cool right now and it becomes viral. And we have things, you know, like something called like, you know, YouTube celebrities. And we have people that are famous because of the podcast. And we have like musicians that are just so skillful and that are able to create like beautiful music. And I don't know about you guys, but I know that we need people like that in church. We need people that are able to create beautiful things. And I think we can all kind of like come to the understanding that we need beautiful things that reflect us beauty. We need people like Bezalel, right? And people that are able to tell the story of Jesus in a very beautiful way. But in this particular passage, God tells Moses to be obedient and to make sure that that person had these qualities before the skill. And this is what God tells him. He said... I want to look for somebody that's filled with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with the understanding of knowledge. And uh, this is such a powerful quality, you know, and, and he mentioned them before the skill. Uh, I love, I don't know about you guys, but I love that God cares about us being filled with yeah. his Spirit. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a moment in my life when I was in college I felt like my life was a mess, okay? Uh, even until they say, you know, I, I do this prayer. But, like, all I could say while I was praying was, God, I just, I just want more of you and less of me. And I said this in a moment in my life where I felt like my life was a mess without God's presence. But when I took the time during the day to pray a little and, and just to take the time to talk to Jesus and, and read my Bible and ask God to, to give me wisdom through his word, I felt like I became a little bit more confident. And I, I became a little bit more wise in my, decision, in my decisions. And I, I just kind of acquired this understanding that I knew what God wanted me to do for life. And I knew how he wanted me to worship him. So in the aspect of worship, we can all ask this question. Okay, how does God want us to worship him? Well, one thing I can tell you as a worship pastor here at Mountain is that, like, worship is so much more than singing right? Worship is so much more than gathering once a week for one hour and singing a whole bunch of songs, right? It's, it's so much more than feelings. Uh, I, I, all of us do different things. For example, like uh, I'm a worship pastor, so I go to sleep with my guitar, right? It gets on everybody's nerves in my, at the house. And I wake up with my guitar, and I try, to, I try to be creative with my guitar, and I try to write stuff, and I practice my skill. This is what I do. That's, I'm a worship pastor. But a lot of us, you know, we, some of us work at a supermarket or a coffee shop, or some of us are doctors or lawyers. And, um, you know, we, God is asking us from this particular passage, and I think he's guiding us to, to what the idea of worship is. He's telling us that through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can wake up every morning and say, God, please, I ask you that you will help me to uh, to worship you and represent Jesus through the craft that I do. So maybe that means that if you work at a coffee shop, you're just, you just do your best job to do that espresso, right? And like make somebody happy, you know? Or, or maybe you're smiling a little bit more, you know? So whatever it is that you do in life, God is giving us the Holy Spirit through him and we can create something beautiful to represent Jesus, whatever it is that we do. So when we do that and when we ask God for wisdom, and we become a little bit more wise. We become a little bit more like Bezalel, right? We become a little bit more like Jesus. Of course, we become a little bit more like Moses. And when we do that, our gatherings and our songs 
become more meaningful and more powerful. Yeah, I love that. It's like uh, worship is just taking what God has given you, and as you yep. get closer to God, using that to bring him praise in whatever way you can. It's really important for us to remember. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that prayer that you mentioned that you prayed in college. Mm-hmm. More of you, less of me. That's a prayer that I have prayed a lot too. I love that. Yeah, I love how you talked about like using like all different aspects of our life for worship. Because um, you mentioned a supermarket, and I actually worked at a supermarket for like almost two years. So yeah, just that little smile, that one little thing. Um, and also just worshiping through music, like me and you were worshiping together today, and that's really just awesome to be able to hear you say that. You know, it, it does make me think of like what stood out um, for Moses' life for me. It was like the way Moses and just the whole Israelite community practiced the Sabbath and used that as a way to worship. So for those of us who may be unfamiliar with like what the Sabbath is, real simply, it's when we as Christ followers take one day a week to rest, reflect on God's presence in our lives, in our hearts, um, to come and be filled up by God and not by the work or the busyness throughout the week. You know, it's actually something that Jesus did. He lived his life in rhythms of work and rhythms and rest. And it's something all throughout the Bible we see. But you know, since we're talking about Moses, in Exodus 35, Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Okay, so if you're at all like me when you first heard this thing about Sabbath, you're already, already bored, or you're just not interested in singing Kumbaya for a full day long. <laughs> um, you know, some of us, uh, we might even like this idea and this notion of Sabbath. Maybe we grew up in the church hearing about it, but we just have to work 12-hour shifts all week long just to stay afloat. Um, Some of us have kids, some of us are students. You know, some of us, including myself at times, are just too afraid of slowing down and really living life without any distractions. And you know, I just wanna say, Sabbath is something that's so important to the faith, it's so important. It was important to Jesus, it was important to Moses, and it's something that's become super important to me. You know, I've lived um, in my life like with periods of no Sabbath rest and periods of Sabbath rest too. So growing up, my family really intentionally poured in to us to take a Sabbath, to take that time off. Um, It wasn't something I was always grateful for as a 12-year-old kid, um, but I'm thankful for it now. Um, But somehow, as I got older, I I came to the conclusion that Sabbath was something for only... Uh, for only old people, like um, like Jared here or my parents and, and mom and dad. You want to make somebody okay. old, I'll introduce you to Ben Kacharis later. Oh, okay. Oh, man. Oh, mom, mom and dad, if you're watching, I love you. And Jared, Jared I love you too. So. Um, but for crying out, I, I was 17. Like, I had t- so much energy. I didn't need a day off. I didn't need to slow down or stop. And at this time, I began to work a lot. I took an internship here, which was really awesome. Uh, I worked two other jobs in addition to that. I took college classes. I took high school classes. Uh, I played in bands, visited schools, took standardized tests, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked. And I think you get the picture without ever stopping to rest. And I just want to be straight up honest here with y'all. Um, I became depressed, just jaded, fed up, and just burnt out. And it was at this point that I realized Sabbath wasn't something just for older people like Jared. It wasn't something for those who just couldn't keep up with the busyness of life. It was something for me. It was something I realized I was being called into, invited into, and challenged to participate in. And you know, once I began to take a Sabbath, it was like a weight was being lifted off my shoulders. I had hope again. I actually enjoyed my work throughout the week. It was like taking in a breath. 
It was like breathing in God's presence, his joy, his love in my life. And I think that's something we all long for to some degree, that breath of rest, that breath of God's presence in our life. So as I wrap up here, I want to speak directly to those um, online, in the room, maybe you're watching this later, to people my age, people older than me. Maybe this Sabbath thing doesn't sound like something fun to you. Maybe it sounds a little boring. And I just want to say, Sabbath is not a time where we sit with our hands folded, reading Leviticus from start to finish, and then sitting in silence for the rest of the day. No, thank goodness. <laughs> Sabbath is a time we're invited into rest. And that means maybe having dinner with a friend. Maybe it means going shooting some basketball. Uh, maybe it means mowing the lawn. I don't know. But like guys like Jared, Yohel, Aaron, what's something you guys, one thing you do on Sabbath to help you really rest? Yeah, for me, I, like, I just like to chill, man, and just, uh, you know, catch up with a lot of shows that I haven't been watching. So, like, I just like to be lazy and, and, and sit on my couch. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I love going on a hike with my family. I have a husband and two young kids, as you guys know, and so uh, we like to get out in God's creation, and sometimes I'll try to ask those intentional questions to my kids. Where do you see God out here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like, uh, I just like to be out in my backyard. Uh, whether it's sitting in the hammock or swinging with the kids or jumping on the tree, just a chance just to like not having it in the emails away and the distractions are away. There's no work to be done. It's just time to be with the family and, and be out in our backyard. As simple as that, it means so much. It's so refreshing. And that's really good. Yeah, so maybe it means sitting on the couch, watching some office. Maybe it means taking a hike. Maybe it means just chilling out at the family backyard. I'm going to say something kind of blatant here. Now listen, it might be a, something as simple as taking a nap. <laughs> You know, Sabbath isn't just a time we stop work. It's a time we pursue life. It's a time we pursue Christ. And I think it's real important to say here, too, that um, don't, don't let Sabbath become some set of, like, rigid laws or rules that keep you from resting. In fact, like, look at what Jesus says in Mark 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So that's just saying, don't get caught up in the rules, don't get caught up in the legalities, don't get caught up in the do's and the to-don'ts, but rather accept the invitation of Sabbath. Be challenged to find rest and joy in Christ and who we are in Him. And just to leave you with like a few practical things I do to help me take a Sabbath each week. Um, I set one day a week aside, and mine's on Friday. Uh, I work Sunday, so that's what works for me. And maybe you can't take a whole day right now, whatever, maybe you have some financial situations, or you have kids, or you're a student working through school. Whatever it is, I encourage you to take a rest of some, some kind. Um, and maybe you need to be challenged to take a whole day like I was. So figure out what that looks like for you. Um, I, didn't work, I don't work at all on my Sabbath. And that's really hard for me because I love to be doing and moving. But it's a time where I just kind of breathe it all in and take a rest from the busy week. Um, I do my best to turn off social media. I'm, I'm still working on this one because TikTok, oh my gosh, it's just too good. I'll be on there for hours. <laughs> it's really good. Um, but I, wa- I want to challenge myself um, and I want to challenge us all, all of us. Um, turn off social media for a day. See how that might change you. Uh, turn off Facebook. Turn off Instagram. Turn off TikTok. Turn off MySpace. Uh, man, if anyone uses <laughs> that, I, I hope not. <laughs> Get on TikTok if you're still on MySpace. <laughs> but anyway, turn it off for a day and really show up and see how God might change you. Um, I take time to be with family and friends and just the life-giving relationships around me. And I take time to sit just quietly in God's presence without saying anything, without music, without a show, without anything. And I know that sounds awkward and it sounds kind of scary too, but let me tell you, this is the most refreshing, fulfilling things I do all day on the Sabbath. Um, 
I also have fun. Again, the Sabbath doesn't have to be boring. And I read my Bible. I know that's the Sunday school answer, but I really do get into the Word and see what God's saying to us as Christians and His people. So I encourage you, this week, take a Sabbath. Whatever shape or form that may be, make the time to slow down, to be filled up by God's presence, to be overflowing with His life-giving rest. And Brad, one of the things I love is you've learned that at a young age, and I wish more yeah. of us would take that lesson young. I think it'll give us, uh, it'll sustain us longer, you know, in, in the ways of walking with Christ. And think about the Israelites in particular, like they, they were in bondage and slavery working all the time, and then they, they escaped that, and God says, here, I want you to take a whole day just to rest. Like how, how abnormal, how counterintuitive might that have been to them at this point when they've spent so much time like constantly grinding, but it shows the yeah. importance taking time just to have space, just to, to rest. Yeah, that's so good that you mentioned that because I feel like, I mean, we're not Israelites or anything like that, but like, you know, we, we kind of, like all of us, we become our own slave to the way we live our lives. And, you know, like you say, like doing and doing and doing. I think it's such a great reminder, like you're calling us, like we don't have to be slaves to, you know, literally, but like we, we're slaves to the way we live our lives and we need to take a time to, to, to rest. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Brad, I love that God put it on your heart to talk about Sabbath. I mean, it's so important. And I know the practice of Sabbath has changed me. And, and that makes me think about when Moses spent time in the presence of God. In Exodus 34, you know, in verse 29, it says that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. I remember reading that verse recently and thinking, wow. When Moses spent time with God, it transformed him. It, it made him look different and in a way that anyone could notice. And, and then I thought, I, I wonder if people can see God's transformative work in me like that. And I think maybe that that's the thing that God is inviting all of us to look at honestly and maybe even be challenged by today. We have to ask ourselves things like, can people really tell that I'm living my life with God? Does my leadership reflect, reflect God's presence in my life? And if I say I follow Jesus, can people see it all over my face? Of course, most of us won't have radiant, glowing faces like Moses did that we can point to and say, look, see, I'm, I look totally different. I've totally been with God, right? But if we are really following Jesus, that means we are on a transformative journey with God. And a really important step we can all take on that journey, and one we learn from Moses, is to listen to God's voice. I love how verse 29 says that, that Moses' face turned radiant because he had spoken with God. It implies he didn't just talk to God, he also listened. And he didn't just listen this one time. From Exodus 3, when God calls Moses in the burning bush, all the way to Exodus 34, when his face is glowing, the phrase, the Lord said to Moses, appears over 70 times. I mean, that's a lot of God talking and Moses listening, right? And I love the example that Moses gives us of carving out time and space to really listen to God. I mean, the, the Israelites routinely saw him going to this tent that was set apart for him to have conversations with God, or, or they would see him going up Mount Sinai to talk with God. And this wasn't easy. I mean, think, think like you're Moses here for a minute. Pretend you're Moses, and, and God says, come on up to Mount Sinai so we can have a conversation. So you're like, you're older than Jared. You're like 80 years old. You're like Doris, okay? You're Doris. And you're wearing ancient sandals, okay? And God says, come up Mount Sinai. So to get up Mount Sinai, you have to hike uphill 
for three hours through rocky terrain. You're ascending over 2,000 feet and you're doing that over and over and over again so that you can talk with God. I mean, Moses did the hard work to get to the place where he could hear from God. What's the hard work for you? You know, so often I think we struggle to give time to God, but I've learned in my own life and from the lives of others that, that when we do the hard thing, and it is hard for Moses and for all of us, when we spend time with God, we can hear his voice in powerful ways and it changes us and people notice. And the greatest example of time spent with God and listening to God is of course Jesus himself, right? And like Brad pointed out, even Jesus carved out time to get away with God and listen and pray. But Jesus didn't just listen on the Sabbath. No, he listened along the way. He listened as he went and he was in tune with God's spirit and God's voice. And because of that, we see this wonderful thing happen all throughout the Gospels. Jesus is fully present with people, especially those who interrupt him. And when I think about how Jesus is so good at this, it challenges me. I mean, Jesus gave people his full attention. He empathized deeply and, and he intentionally invested his time in other people. And he accepted invitations to interruption. And, and not just the day-to-day -day interruptions that happened to him, but life's interruptions, you know, those, those shifts away from his expectations and his, or his desires for how his life would go. And if I say I follow him, then I have to ask myself, and I have to keep asking myself, am I like that? I mean, I need and we need God's transformative presence every moment of every day because we can't be like Jesus like that just from our own strength or our own good intentions. It has to be, and it can only be because we're spending time with God. We're doing the hard work to get to the place where we can hear from God like Moses did. And we're carving out time regularly to talk with God and then listening along the way like Jesus did. You know how, how when you sit around a campfire and you come away and you smell, you smell that like a campfire? <laughs> like if you run into someone afterwards, they know you were at a campfire. It's obvious. What if, what if we were the kind of people who spent time with God and it was obvious like that? If we say we're following Jesus, it means that we're walking with God and listening for his voice. That means our walk with God is going to affect the way that we talk with our teacher or our spouse. It's going to affect the patience we have with our kids and with our parents. It's going to affect the way we respond when our boss makes us angry or someone we trust hurts us deeply. And I sure hope that when you think about whether people can see evidence in you that you're walking with God, it makes you feel inspired. But I really hope it makes you feel uncomfortable. As I prepared for today in this message, I know that's how I felt. And I'm, I'm really excited if you feel uncomfortable because that's exactly how you should feel. None of us is perfect. Pay attention to those places where this message feels really hard to hear. That's God talking. And we should listen. That's awesome.
Oh man, that's so good. As you were, as you were just speaking, I was getting uncomfortable and like, <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Thank you for sharing that. I, I just oh, love the smell of the fire. So yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love that. Like wherever you go, can people like smell the, the Jesus, you know, that, that you exude because you've walked with them. That's good. That's really important for us. And there's, we've talked about God's providing. Uh, we've talked about worship. We, we've talked about uh, Sabbath, about ha- like having the face of God, being with God and our face shines. People see it. They, they can smell the fire, right? Uh, and I think there's like this common theme through all of it of how close it is to draw close to Christ with all of your life and put all of your trust in him. And in the couple of minutes that we have left, I, I want to share uh, this passage from Exodus 18. And I think it's so important because we live such busy lives. Like we are just constantly going, constantly moving. And that was also true of Moses. Like sometimes we forget how many people Moses was leading? It was millions, right? One or two million people. And they were all looking to him to lead. That's a lot of pressure. Probably a lot of people saying, hey, Moses, like when's the next uh, pit stop for the restroom? I got to go, I gotta go potty. Where's the rest stop? Or, or whatever it might be, right? And all these people are demanding Moses' time. And they're, they're looking at Moses and they're saying, you know what? Moses rescued us, so he must be the one who, who speaks to God and talks to God. So we're going to go to him uh, for the answers. Like get, where's God leading us? The disputes, the questions? And there's this passage in Exodus 18. Okay, so Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. And he's bringing Moses' wife and sons to Moses. And he comes, and they have a really good relationship. And there's something unique about Jethro in the fact that he's heard what has happened with Moses and uh, rescuing the Israelites, God using Moses to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. And I guess he's proud of him. He's got a good relationship with him. And his own life, faith, has been transformed. He's been drawn towards God. And he gets to Moses and he sees that he's just working like crazy. All these people are demanding his attention night and day all the time. And he goes up to him and he, and he says, like, what are you doing? He says, these people, they're around me all day and night. Uh, they come to me to inquire of God. And here's what Jethro says back to him. I think this is really important. He says, what you are doing is not good. Like, what, what a bold statement. The father-in-law, what you are doing is not, could you imagine if your father-in-law or mother-in-law said, what you are doing, like, that hurts, that cuts deep. Are you allowed to say that to me? But the father-in-law has wisdom here. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. What Jethro is saying to Moses is, if you're really going to be able to create space for Sabbath, if you're really going to be able to um, fully worship me with your life and not be burned out and worn out. If you're really going to be able to, to, to reflect everything that God has within you, if you're really going to be able to do that, if you're really going to be able to trust that God is providing, then you've got to trust God to allow other people to help you. And he gives them some advice, and he says, instead of trying to do this all yourself, let me give you structure. Divide the ministry into groups of 10, 50, 100, 1,000 to people who love God and want to serve his purposes. This is Jethro's advice to his son-in-law. Turns out in-laws have good advice, okay? (laughs) Divide, offer structure, give authority to people who you really trust to help. Understand the purposes of God and lead the people forward in those. And when you do, you'll be able to care for these people and also be able to take care of yourself. And I think there's two lessons we can learn from this. Okay, one, uh, great ideas come from fresh perspective, and we need fresh perspective in our life. We need to be inviting people into our lives to care about us, to offer perspective, to guide us. We need wise counsel around us to help us. God put Jethro there for a reason. And we can't do it all ourselves. Like, if we do, we're not going to be able to make time for all the other stuff that allows God to fill our cup up. 
Don't parent alone. Invite other people in. It takes a village, right? School, like invite mentors and people to help you with all the struggle of learning and other extracurricular activities, whatever it may be. You're early, young in your career, invite mentors in. Share the load, right? In ministry, like the church can't function if it's just the staff doing it. It takes tons of people saying, I want to step up and allow God to use me so that we can really care for all of these people that call Mountain Home and the many thousands more that will as this church continues to be a blessing for 200 more years. We gotta share that load, we gotta invite people into it. And so Jethro gives Moses this advice. And I, I think throughout this series, there's plenty of advice. As Grandpa Moses reflects back, he says, hey, let me tell you some stories from when I was younger. I got some stuff to teach you, kids. And throughout this series, I am confident the Lord has placed something on your heart that you can take and you can use and you can implement so that you can continue to look more like him. What is it? What is it? We're going to close this series out right now. I ask Brad, if you don't mind, pray us out as we wrap up an MO like Mo. Yeah. Man, God, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being with us, God. We're just so grateful to come here and worship you, God, through through this message, through the sermon, God, through what you've been saying to us all throughout this series. We're just so grateful for the ways you showed up in Moses' life and how you're showing up in our lives right now. Challenge us to take what we've learned from this series and just apply it to our lives. And God, thank you for being here and being in our hearts. We want to come fully before you. And thank you for all you're doing. And it's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.